Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and join us today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators, and we have a variety of different types of listeners, of which I believe you are more than one of the above of. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches and consultants. We have the folks who help others create and grow their businesses. And we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. So we kind of run the gamut of the spectrum. As I said, if you're one or more of the above, which I suspect you are, please take a moment, explore our episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www businesscreatorsradioshow.com and we are on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show or click the big button in the sidebar of our website. We have over 175 episodes that will be immediately, excuse me, 165 episodes, I'm getting a little too excited there, <laughs> uh, which will be immediately available to you as soon as as you subscribe, every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. And please subscribe, as I said, because there are topics on copywriting, social media. We have financial and wealth-building topics. We have holistic health topics. We have a variety of things that impact and support our business creators every day. Now, we have a very, very, very special thing happening today on the Business Creators Radio Show. All of our episodes are fantastic, and we have the most awesome guests. We have another example of a truly awesome guest today, and I am so honored to introduce to you Dan Cushell, who's going to correct me if I'm mispronouncing his name in just a second, and he is with the Genius Network, yes, the Genius Network, and he is going to show us what we need to know about how to create an elf business, which means easy, lucrative, and fun instead of a half business. Hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. And since I love acronyms, I'm going to love this topic, and I'm going to love giving you this topic today. So just to tell you a little bit about Dan, he is a husband, dad, serial entrepreneur, and angel investor. He is a growth partner for Genius Network, founder of Growth to Freedom. He started and built 11 companies and coached over, and this is an exact number, 5,329. He has coached more than that exact number of entrepreneurs and small business owners on how to grow their companies. Dan is a business growth expert that will help you grow, optimize, and scale. And what that means for you is you will discover how to convert more leads, generate more sales, and improve profits so you can have a bigger reach, impact, and contribution. You can also learn more about Dan at GeniusNetwork.com, his show at GrowthToFreedom.com, which I recommend, or follow him on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Dan, welcome aboard. Adam, it's a pleasure to be with you today and also with uh, your family here in the Business Creator Show. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. We like to think of ourselves as a family because so many of us know each other and so many of us support each other, and we've had the opportunity over our past three years on the air to have people meet each other and connect with each other. You know, what I'm discovering is we get more and more people in our business creators 
radio show archive and we get more and more episodes in the can is I'm just starting to see all the connections. I mean, you are good friends with a couple of our recent and or upcoming guests. I mean, we have so many come through. Sometimes I forget which one, you know, which order they're in. But I know, you know we've had a few people who are good friends of yours who have been here recently. We've done some great interviews with and or doing or are doing some great interviews with. And it's just fantastic what a small world we live in what an interconnected world we live in and how we have these opportunities uh dan you've i've read off your official bio there and that's some really good stuff but what i'd like if you could do for our listeners is tell us more about the you know what happened uh to bring you to the intersection of brilliance and passion where you live right now and serving people with what you do yeah, well, I would say that you know it's it's certainly been a journey to to, to get here. You know, I you know I don't know if you've had uh, parents who were both entrepreneurs and blue collar workers, but uh, I was brought up in the inner city of Detroit. My dad was a blue collar worker. Uh, he worked for a big uh, big auto manufacturer with two letters that you know I'm sure everybody can kind of bridge that gap right now. But he got laid off nine different times. And as a kid, I went through the ups and downs of that. And for me, what it did is it anchored, you know, uncertainty. It anchored, you know, working for the man equals X, meaning uncertainty and, you know, being uncomfortable. We were on welfare more than a couple right. times. And so for me, yeah, I can remember the day. I mean, I remember being eight years old, clear as day, like, I'm not going to follow this path. I'm going to do something different. Now, thankfully, on that journey as well, my dad actually did uh, attempt to run a couple businesses, so I got to see the entrepreneurial spirit. He introduced me to personal development when I was 10 years old. I went to my first personal development training. It was actually a sports clinic, a baseball clinic, because my dream was to play pro baseball, and so he got me started in personal yeah. development early. And I can remember it like, yeah, I can still picture the manual that I got when I was 10, and on one of the pages, there were hundreds of pages, but the one still stands out in clear as day, and, and I can see it right now in front of me. At the head, head of the page, the headline was uh, Positive Mental Attitude, and then it read, the first sentence was, uh, having a PMA or positive mental attitude, uh, or, or 90% or success in, in baseball, sports, and life is 90% mental, and the rest is physical. And Uh-huh positive mental attitude being the key. And so for me, that was, you know, that was a catalyst. And, uh, you know, I, I pursued sports. I had a baseball career that was taking off. You know, I loved the game. Unfortunately, uh, I had some injuries, so I only ended up playing semi-pro in college baseball. And I, then I coached a college summer all-star team, which was a lot of fun. So there's this coaching theme in my life or this teaching coaching theme that had popped up. And, you know, while I was in college uh, uh, overall, what ended up happening is I got introduced to direct response marketing, Adam. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I know your, your, your show, your platform is about marketing and business growth, right? And so for me, yeah. you know, here I was in my late teens, and I got introduced back then. There was no Internet. It was, you know, direct mail. But I was so intrigued and so damn curious about the idea of how you could put words in print, put them in the mail, and people would respond to that. And... The psychology, so I so I became insatiably curious, and you know, started studying. You know, people like Tony Robbins and Tom Hopkins were some of my early mentors and coaches, as well as Brian Tracy back then. Uh, the E Myth, I got introduced to the E Myth pretty early on with Michael Gerber, and so I just 
you know, I, I, I love it. For me, that became my, my university. It became my, my school. And, you know, after working in that company part-time off and on through a couple years, uh, you know, at 22, I started my first company. And, you know, I thought we had a better mousetrap. Uh-huh. I thought we had a, a better way to do things. You know, fast forward now to today, I've, you know, been fortunate and blessed to run 11 different companies. You know, I've exited and sold a couple companies. You know, today I'm teamed up with Joe Polish here at Genius Network where we get to work with some of the top high-achieving entrepreneurs in the world with about 230 in our community, uh, which our members actually call it the 25K group. You know, we get to see some of the, you know, best stuff, the cutting-edge, leading strategy uh, on what's working, what's not working, and so on. So, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, in, in my domain. On top of the other things that I do with real estate, angel investing, being a husband and a dad. So. Okay. Uh, that's fantastic, and I love that story. Uh, there's a question we ask everybody uh, that comes on to the Business Creators Radio Show, and um, and it's possible, Dan, you know what's coming next, because I believe you've heard a few of our episodes, and I know that our listeners who tune in every week, and we do have a cadre who turn in every single week because we get their comments and they ask me questions by email and and all that type of stuff, is uh, there's a specific question here, and it is going to happen in just a few seconds as soon as we do the drum roll. My cat's sitting next to me. She always gets excited when I do that. And here it is. Here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. A lot of our own listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement anything that we say they need to do, except for time and money. This is a question we ask everybody who appears on the Business Creators Radio Show. What I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of ways the question is interpreted. So, Dan, how do time and money impact what you're going to share with us today? Well, at the, at the end of the day, you know, as far as money goes, you can get that back. I mean, you, yeah. Right. What's interesting is, you know, in building and growing 11 companies, you know, I've had my share of failures. I've also had some successes along the way. But, you know, money money comes and goes. It's, you know, it's energy. But time is something we never get back. And I challenge you as you're listening right now and a part of Adam's community is that, you know, really start to get diligent on your time. And I think as I've discovered uh, working around all these incredible thought leaders that I'm fortunate enough to meet and work with in in, in Genius Network, uh, Adam, is that, you know, what we have to do is protect our time much better. Uh, One of the things is, you know, a lot of us think of the to-do list as being one of the most important productivity strategies, but what I find from high-achieving high entrepreneurs, not the to-do list that matters, it's the not-to-do list that matters more. And also distinguishing between right. ideas. Uh, you, know, you know, most of us, if you're listening right now, chances are you're an idea merchant at, at some degree. And, you know, ideas are constantly coming. So it's how do you distinguish between the ideas that take and those that don't. And so identifying them in three categories is a great way to do it. It's the to-do list, the not-to-do list, and the not-now list. And, you know, it helps you discern what's important versus what's most important uh, overall. So time is something we can never get back. For me, I got to experience this firsthand, Adam, when, you know, I I built up in the uh, mid-2000s. I had five companies. I was operating about 200 employees in a couple different states. We were doing some really cool things, transforming an industry. Two weeks after my son Kyler was born, my daughter was two, uh, I woke up with chest pains, and I... 
called my doctor. Long story short, I ended up in a hospital for four days, had a heart procedure, had to sign a disclaimer. I had a one in X chance of dying on the table. And for me, wow. a lot of things changed. And I no longer was promiscuous with my time. I was no longer, you know, I, what I realized today is I had a lot of unhealthy workaholic, aholic, addictive habits related to being, a, you know, just an entrepreneur and working to, to build and grow something that was, you know, special and would transform the world. And I lost sight of, you know, something that, you know, once you lose it, you never get it back, which is your health, your time, and so on. And so uh, for me, it, it really hits home with time and money and distinguishing what's, what's more important. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I see a lot of people get into this. Uh, you know, somebody was saying that, you know, she wants, this is a friend of mine, actually, and she was saying in a group that she wants to have a lifestyle where she works three and a half hours or three and a half days a week. So Monday she wants to work a half day so that she can help get the, you know, on Monday, get everything organized for her kids for the week and everything and, you know, do her team meeting and not have to jump in too hard. Then she wants Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to be the hustle days. And then she wants Fridays off so she can go to the park. And she said to us, she was saying, well, but, but I don't understand it. They say all these entrepreneurs, we have to work 80 hours to avoid that 40-hour-a-week job. And everybody I know seems to be working, working, working all the time. And I said, they're working all the time? They're posting how many times on Facebook? 175 times a day and uh, – and about 135 of the things they post, whether it's on their own wall or in somebody else's comment thread, is about uh, politics or, or something completely unrelated to their business. I mean, the only way politics is really related to your business is if you have a product that niches towards a very specific political demographic where you yourself are a politician. Outside of that, it doesn't really apply. And right. they seem to be on social media all the damn time. Are they really working 80 hours a week, or are they just allocating 80 hours to something and letting yeah. it get filled up? Yeah, it's a huge difference, right, Adam, between productivity and activity, and most people get caused uh, confused by activity versus productivity. And, you know, her framework that you talked about, I don't know her name, but, you know, Dan Sullivan, who's one of our Genius Network members, he also runs Strategic Coach, you know, he breaks down, you know, the entrepreneurial time system into, he calls it free days, focus days, and buffer days. And, you know, part of it depends on the entrepreneurial mindset, too. You know, are we an entrepreneur that's a an achievement-minded entrepreneur? Are we a lifestyle entrepreneur? Or are we a, a scarcity-minded uh, entrepreneur? And, you know, they all have their place, and we all, you know, fit one of those categories, or we're moving from one to the other at different times depending on what happens. And, uh, you know, getting... Yeah on the time piece and being productive and what what is the most important, you know, what, Brian Tracy, one of my first coaches, uh, Adam, he, he said, here's one of the most powerful questions you could ask yourself and your team. What's the most productive yeah. thing I can do at every given moment? And or what's the most important thing that I can do at this given moment? And when we just hone in on that simple one single question for ourselves or our team or have our team do that, you know, that really kind of separates the wheat from the chaff to identify, you know, what is most important versus important and what's productive versus active. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, that is such great information. Um, and, Dan, let me say that's just fantastic. So 
uh, let's dive into this topic. Uh, we are talking about how to create an elf business versus a half business. So can you tell me more about what those two things are and how we can create that distinction? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first of all, it's, it's a coined framework from Joe Polish, who I work with here at Genius Network. And an elf business is easy, lucrative, and fun versus a half business, which is hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating, right? Because how many of us as entrepreneurs, we get started and we're excited about the freedom we can create, the contribution we can make, the difference we can make, the significance, the certainty, the adventure, the fun, right? And then what we find at times is we buy ourselves a job, not just one job, but many jobs. We're wearing nine hats in a company. We're you know, consumed by complexity. We're consumed by overwhelm. We're at a place where we, you know, maybe hit plateaus. We, you know, find ourselves stuck and, and those sorts of things. Um, you know, or we, we, we're like, we're, you know, I didn't realize I was going to have these blind spots. And so what an elf business is, Adam, is the ability to be able to go out and create more of an easy, lucrative, and fun business. Now, I, I divide a business into you know, six key modules, and you can have an elf model in each of these uh, modules. And so you know, in order of priority, I think you know, the little hinge that swings the big door for most emerging companies, most companies doing under $20 million a year, uh, you know, the biggest thing that will make the biggest difference is marketing and selling. Those are two separate categories, marketing and selling. So you can create, you know, and I, I learned this from the E-Myth, you know, uh, Michael Gerber's brilliant work, and, you know, he says in his book, The E-Myth, you know, uh, build great systems and find great people to run those systems. Well, when I got started, you know, I was already utilizing the ELF mindset, the ELF strategy instead of a half strategy uh, before I even was introduced to it, the idea that you could create an ELF model around marketing and around selling, because let's face it, if we're in marketing, and we all do marketing and selling. Some of us just are, you know, below average. Some of us are average, and some of us are above average at those two things, but they work together. And, you know, oftentimes I find, and, I, you know, I know Joe has mentioned this, you know, many times, is most people have a misconception you know, what selling and marketing are. And so here's a real simple definition. I love this with my kids, right? You know, you mentioned in my opening, you know, my, my, I'm a husband and a dad first and everything else after that. And so, you know, I love that my kids are 11 and 9. And if you would ask them, Adam, in an interview and you'd go, hey, Kyler, hey, Kira, uh, what are the two most important skills to learn in business? You know, what they would say is marketing and selling. And then if you followed that up and said, well, what is marketing and selling? And I could send you a video because Joe's actually interviewed him, which is kind of a trip. Uh, but if, if you asked him, well, what is marketing and what is selling, they would say marketing is storytelling and selling is simply influence, right? And then if you asked them, well, how do you make money in the world? They'd simply say value creation and transformation, right? So sometimes we, you know, I know I've complicated the hell out of this stuff, Adam, over the years, you know, when you can keep it so simple that a, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old, 12-year-old can understand it, you know, my good friend Dean Graziosi, who's also a Genius Network member, says it best, you know, keep it so low the goats can eat it, you know, so it's just real and easy for people to understand. You know, uh, Peter Drucker's work, brilliant, you know, brilliant as he is and was, you know, he says business has two functions, marketing and innovation, everything else is a cost. So, you know, what is selling, what is marketing? Here's another way to think about it. Marketing is what you do to get someone um, on the phone or face-to-face -face with you predisposed, pre-qualified, pre-interested, and pre, uh, 
ready to do business with you, right? Uh, selling on the op opposite, or I guess you connect the two, selling is what you do when you get them on the phone or face-to-face -face with you predisposed, pre-qualified, pre-motivated, and pre-interested, ready to do business with you. So, you know, though, when you understand the two, you know, another way to look at it, it's football season at the time we're doing this interview, you know, all of us do marketing. All of us do selling. Again, some of us are just, in fact, here's a great exercise to do is you're listening right now for your business, for your, your, your team, for your company, for your future, and do this every month. You know, if you had to identify on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being greatest, most effective, most efficient, the best it could be in, in marketing, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your marketing? And the 1, obviously, is the lowest, but 10 the highest. On a 1 to 10, right now, where would you rate your marketing? On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate the selling ability in your company? And then a simple follow-up question is, well, what would have to happen in order for me to make it a 10? And you'll start to come up with your own answers, and then, you know, there are other places that you can go, you know, working with Adam and his community, I'm sure you're going to get incredible advice on how to drive your marketing, drive your business growth from just those two perspectives. But I love talking about marketing and selling probably, you know, of the six that, you know, I have as a framework, the other ones besides marketing and selling, Adam, are uh, mindset, uh, leadership, productivity, and then hiring, or another word for hiring is recruiting. And you can kind of do the same thing. If you look at your business in those six categories and identify where you're at 1 to 10, you know, it's the, it's a principle I learned from Rick Pitino and Pat Riley because I'm a big sports nut. Uh, you know, Pat Riley in the heyday of the Lakers back in the 80s, you know, when they were on their big run where they were winning championship, championship, championships, you know, he had a very simple philosophy of how to, you know, grow his team. And there's a big difference between geometrically, exponentially growing a team and a company versus linear growth. And it starts with the mindset, first of all, that it's possible, but it's not trying to jump 42 steps today. It's about inch by inch, as Zig Ziglar used to say, it's a cinch. And the idea that you could, what, he, what Pat Riley did, is he would divide his player capabilities into five key categories, and he would simply ask those players to commit to improve 1% in those five areas every week. And now when you factor a team of 12 to 15 players who are all committed to improve 1% 1 1 a week in those five key areas, personally you get exponential growth after a month, two months, six months, eight months, or as you get close to the playoffs and in the championship. But then separately when you take that player times 12 to 15 players on a team who've all committed to that same idea, that's where you get amazing results. So, you know, as I've heard Peter Diamandis, another one of our Genius Network alumni, say, you know, you can be a 10% person or a 10 times person. It's easier, as Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach and another member of ours says, it's easier to be a 10 times person than it is a 10% person because you're going to do the work anyway. Why not commit to, do, you know, have 10 times transformational results? So anyway, I mean, I could keep going on and on, but I think that's a good place to break it. Right. Yeah, so you've been quoted as saying that leadership is as leadership does, and that it starts mm. at home. What does this all mean, and why is this important to us? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I don't uh, claim to have any of this figured out, Adam, right? You know, the elephant in the room, if you will. For me, over my career, I mean, it's been a journey. You run 11 companies, you have some failures, you have some successes, and you know, what I though look at, although some of the failures have been painful, like, you know, in my history, I've, you know, gone through divorce, I've gone through bankruptcy, 
You know, I've had companies that didn't work out so well, uh, but then I've had the other side of it where I was able to sell companies for, you know, pretty significant amount of things and, you know, exit and, you know, take a couple years off basically and, you know, enjoy my health and be a dad and you know, full time. And so I've also, you know, I've experienced both sides of it. And I think my greatest learning lessons have come from some of the, you know, failures. And I know a lot of us, you know, Dan Sullivan, for example, I think has a great framework around this. He, he you know, he also years ago went through bankruptcy and failure. Not that any of us have to do this, by the way. Uh, but, you know, I resonated with Dan's story. He happened to go through divorce and bankruptcy on the same day, apparently. And, you know, someone asked him about it. Joe asked him about it in an interview. And he says, well, I just considered it market research, extreme market research, right? So, a lot of it has to do, you know, with our mindset. So leadership is as leadership does. Watch what someone does, not what they say, right? And, you know, in our business world, you know, many people I've discovered in the industry that we're in with, you know, thought leaders and experts and, you know, coaches and so on, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes people have a different backstage life than they do a front stage life, right? And so when you can match the two you can match a front stage life with your backstage life and they are congruent with integrity. I, I think that's where, you know, things happen. And so I talk a lot about my kids. Uh, I think the biggest transformation I've made, Adam, is I've slowed the game down. I've simplified things quite a bit. And if it's good enough for my kids, it's good enough for the people that I coach, train, and teach, and grow, and help implement, and install, and advance, and optimize, and scale their company, right? And, you know, it's about... What's most important is healthy habits. You know, you can build a great company, but you can have an unhealthy culture, and it, it's going to drain you. It's going to drain the people around you, and ultimately, it'll be a short-lived, non-sustainable business. So it's about a healthy culture, healthy habits, healthy rituals, healthy frameworks. Instead of being a tactical oriented, so many people today seem to fall in love with tactics. They fall in love with, you know, this tactic on Facebook or that tactic on YouTube ads or this tactic. And you know what? Tactics will come and go, but what doesn't go are principle-based rituals, habits, uh, and frameworks. And so I encourage you as you're listening right now to focus on principle-based frameworks versus tactical. Implement the tactical, put them in place, but don't fall in love with them. And certainly don't build your whole company on one tactic. You know, that's like a, a tree, if you will, that's got one root. Well, guess what happens if a strong wind comes by? The wind being a half model, hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating a half model as it relates to relying on one methodology to grow and build your business, well, what does that mean? Well, when a right. company like Facebook or Google or any of these companies change their terms and policies, if you're a one-root uh, tree, that's a wind that comes by and blows. Guess what happens to that one-root tree? That tree flips. It falls over. It dies. It, it's uprooted. So what do you do to protect yourself? You focus on principles and you have deep roots plenty of roots. You, you know, you have a tree that's got 40 roots so that you can sustain a wind or any kind of changes that happen in your industry so that you can build something long term. Now for me, you know, Adam, I, I had to build, I had to learn this the hard way. I shared my experience earlier where I ended up in that hospital. So today, regardless of what happens in my day, in the middle of the day especially, I book in my day. So no matter what happens in the middle of the day, I've already got success. It's, you know, I'm an achievement-driven, highly-driven, A-type personality, and, you know, accomplishment is really, you know, for me, a high value. 
How, and I used and I and I have to say one of my downfalls have been I you know over my 26 years of building and growing and running companies, I haven't enjoyed the moment the majority of those years. It hasn't been until the last couple years that I think I've gotten much better and and really learned the difference of enjoying the ride, enjoying the journey, enjoying the moment, seizing the moment uh, overall. And my kids have you know been my greatest teacher, frankly, and. You know, for example, w- would that be helpful to share the rituals that I've put in place that, you know, regardless of what's going on around, would give success? Yes, that would be excellent. Please do that, Dan. All right, cool. So, you know, for example, you know, years ago, the achievements were what mattered, like how many sales, you know, how many, you know, uh, clients that we would get. And all that's valuable in running your business. You want to track things, you know, the old saying that, that which is measured improved, that which is measured and reported improves exponentially. And so you certainly want to build that kind of framework into your business. But what is success to you as you're listening right now, right? What is success, right? Do you even have a clear idea of what that is? For me, it took this health issue where God, you know, took a, a big tree and hit me upside of the head and said, wake up, dummy. And, you know, so I, I hired a coach, another coach. I've had many coaches over my 26 years in bu- building and growing companies. And she got, her name's Christy Lopez, I still work with her today, but Christy, you know, got me to think of a simple framework that I think is a great framework for all of us. It's three simple questions. Number one is, what do I want? Number two, and by the way, that what do I want is not the false stuff, the very surface level things that we think, you know, our family might want, our team might want, you know, people we, our clients want. It's what do you want? Get selfish about it from the perspective of what do you really want and get clear on that. And then the second is, who am I? You know, what qualities, what characteristics as a human being, not the labels, not the titles, not the CEO thing, not the entrepreneur thing, not the, you know, dad thing even or the husband thing, but like who are you in those things? So as a human being, and then the third is what do I stand for, which are values. Like in our family, if you ask my, you know, 11 and 9-year-old, they would tell you our our Kushel values is an acronym called champion. They'd go, you said, hey, what are your what are your Kushel values? They'd go, champion, choose health, action, mastery, purpose, invest in yourself, opportunity seeker, never quit. So if it's good enough to have values in a company, which, by the way, if you don't have values, it's a great thing to do, not only for you, but building and growing a team and attracting people, but I believe it works in a family. And, you know, it, it seems to be working with, with our kids so far. And, you know, although the jury will still be out as they get older, but, you know, having that core value, but it comes from answering the question, what do I stand for? So those three questions, what, what do I want, who am I, and what do I stand for, a great framework to be able to work with. So once you get clear on that, you can start making decisions. Every, you know, being on this interview, for example, is filtered through those three questions of whether this was a yes or a no, or a not now kind of thing. Then what I do, uh, Adam, is I bookend my day with rituals for me because, hey, left to my own devices, I'm a workaholic with addictive traits, and I would create chaos in, in my own world, and I still do outside of these rituals. So by, I put these rituals in place to help protect me, essentially, well, protect me from me. And so I encourage you, for you, you know, you come up with what is your, your, your system approach or your approach of, like, what is success to you. So, you know, Tony Robbins, Adam, as you may know, he talks about six key areas uh, of uh, six human needs. Uh, that are emotional needs that we are all looking to pursue. It's adaptive from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Brendan Burchard, another one of our Genius Network members, 
he has his own version of needs. But Tony's are six very simple ones, certainty, uncertainty, significance, love, connection, growth, and contribution. So what I did is I designed by, on purpose, and I know you had one of my good friends, Craig Valentine, on the show, and his program is one of the best in the world at being able to identify your ideal, in fact, your perfect day. He calls it the perfect day formula, as you know, Adam. And so going through his process will even help you get clearer on this. But for me, I wanted as many things bookending my day that would fill as many of those six needs as possible. So for me, what do I do? I wake up most days between 5 and 6 in the morning. I get up. The first thing I do is exercise either, you know, somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour. I then follow that up typically with writing and meditation. So for me, I'm meeting six of the, the human needs for me that are important just in that process. Then I have breakfast typically with my wife or kids or both. Uh, and then I'm getting into to the other things in my day. On the end of the day, we close our day, we bookend the day with, you know, basically it's a family ritual, and it's centered around five key questions. Not that we ask the same five questions every day because that would get boring and robotic, and as you know as an entrepreneur, you, that would get stale very quickly. But we ask, you know, a couple of the key questions. There's other questions that, you know, come out of these five key ones. But I encourage you to write these down as you're listening right now because, you know, and, and put them into place and test them for you personally. These are great journaling questions to ask. They're great to ask your spouse, ask your kids. Uh, but we ask them regularly, almost every day. First question is, what am I grateful for right now? Second is, what am I happy about right now? Third is, what have I done well today? Fourth is, what mistakes did I make today? And, and the fifth is, what did I learn from it? And, you know, what I found have found, and I think I originally learned this from Brian Tracy, the idea of gratitude uh, years ago, you know, the more we identify what we're grateful for, the more the world gives us that we'll be, have to be grateful for. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, you know, I love going to bed with my wife right before we shut our eyes and asking each other, hey, babe, what, what are you grateful for today? And she likewise will ask me. And just checking in, it's a great grounding exercise. Again, it's almost spiritual or med a med it puts you in a meditative place and put you in a, a place of peace. So for me, these are things that have worked, Adam, as rituals. Uh, and there are other things I do, but these are the cornerstone of, of the book ending my day. So I know I'm successful when I do these things, and everything else in the middle is just you know icing on top of the cake uh, overall. So uh, anyway, I think I'll let you take it from here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, we're talking about these rituals and things we do. <coughs> ourselves and uh, just to give you a few examples from me um, I acknowledge that I tend to have a very short attention span when it comes to me uh, some of the things I do and you know there's a side of me that's very emotionally driven what that translates into when it comes to doing work and such is if it's not hell yes it's hell no so if I'm not like major superly passionate about something I tend to sometimes just let it go or if I'm not quite amped up into it. And I recognize this as being one of those things. I also uh, sometimes recognize in myself that I have a bit of a, how do I put this, like a savior complex. Like if I see something that uh, needs fixing, I want to fix it regardless of what it is. And if I see that somebody is seeing my message or seeing what I'm doing and disagrees with it, I want to take the time to try and help them understand it. But 
to be effective in serving the people who are prepared to receive my gifts in the intersection of my brilliance and passion, I can't let these things happen. So I need to be very guarded about what comes on my calendar. Uh, that means uh, that means you know nobody can just pick up the phone and call me. I'm not, I, I don't have a sec for you. You know that whole phrase, "got a sec," unless you're yep. somebody who's one of my top titanium level clients who has my Skype. In that case, you can go into your Skype and if you see my little dot green, you can type "got a sec." But I can't do that for anybody else, and yep. I also have to be guarded about what I allow into my social media news feed. This counts for LinkedIn. This counts for Twitter. counts for Facebook. Uh, and if I see somebody posting a bunch, of, a bunch of crap, let's just put it that way, and I'm going to allow the listener to identify what that means for themselves, I have to unfollow them. doesn't mean I'll unfriend or disconnect or anything like that, but if that's what you're sharing with the world, you know, God, I, I may love you to pieces, and you, know, you may be somebody that every time I see you in person, whether it's in an event or a networking thing or if you're a friend of mine or what have you, but I just don't want to see this side of you, so I'm, I'm going to opt out. Yeah. Yeah, I love the, uh, the hell yes, hell no idea. Phone. Adam, do you know, uh, do you yeah. know of uh, Derek Sievers? Yes. Yeah, so C D baby, you know, he you know, he calls it the hell yes, hell no maybe, which is a hell no, right? So I love that framework, so that's great. Yes, absolutely. I I mean and I found that's a good barometer for making decisions about, you know, types of projects and site types of customers you take on too. I mean I you can give me two prospects and if you were to give me descriptions of those two prospects, like on like on an eight and a half piece of paper bullet points all the language and all the bullet points and the you know might read exactly the same and even the bio and the background of the person may be the same and the personalities of the two people may even be similar but if there may be one of them it's just for some reason it's not giving me a hell yes doesn't make them bad but i recognize that i need to create somebody else's yes for them yep yeah, that's just that's just being really focused on the intersection of my brilliance and passion. That's why I do great work, if I say so myself, and others do as well. And every so often we do have to say it for ourselves. Otherwise, I mean, what are we doing this for? If you can't look at what you're doing and you say, I do great work, then that means there's a confidence issue or there's a disconnect between what you're doing and what you're feeling. And either way, you've got to fix those. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've heard Joe even say, Adam, as it relates to that, you know, the disconnect you talk about and, the, you know, the connect, you know, so if you think about connection or disconnect, you know, communication being so important, you know, how many times do we get into, you know, conversations with others, but really it's ourselves that, you know, we're either leaning into the conversation and engaged or we're trying to escape, right? Like, you know, how many times have we been in conversations where we're, you know, half listening if not really listening at all and then and then and then you know check check in and so what i've discovered for me because i've spent more of my life not being present than being and it's working on being connected being present in that moment to really you know you know squeeze the juice out of it to you know seize the day to you know get the most you know it, you know the question that I think Joe learned from Barbara Hemphill is the juice worth the squeeze. And so being able to squeeze 
all the juice out of every given opportunity, every given engagement, every given moment to be present, to be, you know, thoughtful, to be engaged with it, you know, wherever that leads, you know, because there are, of course, direct byproducts, and then there are strategic byproducts that come from things. And so, uh, you know, that that idea is you know, just so valuable for all of us to just, you know, check back in with on an ongoing basis. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, uh, we're, I'm going to ask you two questions in succession here because I want to, because we understand that marketing and sales are two different things. Sometimes people say the sales and marketing, but they, in my opinion, they shouldn't because sales is one thing and marketing is another thing. And while the two support each other, they are two very specific and different disciplines. So I'm going to ask you two separate questions that sound similar to each other. The first, Dan, is why do you feel traditional marketing is dead? Well, traditional marketing is dead uh, because the old tactics that people use for marketing just are not compelling. You know, we can be spending time trying to convince, which is what I think traditional marketing has done, and why it sometimes gets a bad name, or we can work to be compelling. And, you know, I challenge you as you're listening right now is to build and grow your business around marketing that is compelling and a great framework to think about marketing is marketing is storytelling. And, by the way, that means telling real stories, authentic stories, genuine stories, um, you know, things that are true. And then the other part of it is that it's built around education-based marketing, right? Or another way to look at it is, you know, we're all in the, in the education-based business. Some of us just don't utilize education-based. We're so busy trying to generate interest in what we do, we lose focus of what's important, which is what do they want. And, and not the idea of find a need and fill it, because it's one of the biggest lies in the world, find a need and fill it. No, it's more about finding a want and filling it. You know, finding, you know, because you know, how many people should quit smoking, but they, they don't. And if you go try to beat that horse down, I mean, that's a, a long thing. You want to find people who want to be healthy, who want to have a, a, a lifestyle where they're free from addiction of, say, nicotine and cigarettes and, the, and those sorts of things. So find a want and fill it, and you can do that through education-based marketing. Now, the platforms we have today, Adam, as you know, give us the luxury to do things that we just couldn't do at the, you know, at the cost that we can today. So integrated marketing Education-based marketing is really, you know, and really viewing ourselves as a publisher uh, in in the in the marketplace. Whatever business you're in, it doesn't matter if you're a service provider, if you're, you know, work. I've worked with, you know, electricians. I've worked with counselors. I've worked with psychologists. I've worked with all kinds of. We've worked with over 188 niche industries in Genius Network, and the common theme that they are all, you know, have this affinity to, is. They want to position themselves, you know, more as an educator, more as a publisher, and the platforms in the world today, they, you know, the social media plat platforms, the tools with, you know, using the web and technology allows us to be able to do that easier than ever before. And if you're not being, if you're not positioning yourself as an integrated marketer or an education-based marketer or a publisher in the future, in five years you will likely be commoditized. It's just just the way that it is. You know, the number one question that people have when they're going to look to do business with anybody is who do I trust? Who do I trust? And so what are you going to do 
to bridge that trust. So old school marketing, Adam, the way I would kind of give a visual representation of it, it's like, you know, if you want to build a fire, one way you can go about it, which I would say this one is traditional marketing. If you light a match and you have a log in the fireplace and you take your match, you're sitting a few inches away, you light the match, throw it at the log in the fireplace and keep throwing matches at the log trying to spark a fire. That's traditional marketing. The methodology that I'll share with you, which is education-based marketing, uh, integrated marketing, uh, publishing, essentially, is looking at yourself, how you see yourself as a publisher, education-based you know, person. That methodology is you get light a match, you just get a piece of paper, you, you light the piece of paper, or let that spark a flame, then you get another couple pieces of paper put on top of it, then you get some kindling and put on top of it, and now you've got a fire, you've got some heat, now you walk over and just set the log on top of a fire that's already burning. That's education-based marketing. That's, uh, that's putting together methodologies today for the long term. That's a sustainable business model. If you look at the companies that have been able to sustain, they actually have already done this. They just probably didn't call it education-based marketing or integrated marketing or publishing. But you and I can put that in place today. And if you go, well, Dan, that, wow, that, that really resonates with me. Well, what do I do to do that? Well, a simple way to think about it is, you know, we all have three things that we want to go for, positioning, credibility, and authority. And so something as simple, Joe's been teaching this for decades, which is, you know, creating an, a consumer awareness guide or a consumer education guide. Well, what is that? It's simply thinking of the questions that your clients have and being able to answer them in a way that they just hadn't thought of yet, right? Because Joe, Joe hired a copywriter, paid him $1,800 to help him create his first consumer awareness guide back in the day for the carpet cleaning industry. It was a dead broke carpet cleaner, paid 1800 bucks to have it done and because he got tired of having people shop him on price, right? As you're listening right now, are you tired of people shopping you on price, right? You want them to shop you on value, right? So what can you do to position yourself with authority, credibility, right, and, and or super authority, credibility, and positioning? And a consumer awareness guide or a consumer education guide can do that. You know, we call this online today a free report. Well, you could create a free report that's five ways uh, you must know to, or five things you must know before hiring, you know, and fill in your industry, right? Or the consumer education guide too, and then whatever the solution is that you provide, right? So create a guide around that and then think of like the five, seven, eight common questions you hear from people and you can put package it up in a guide or you can put it as a, as a message on your website. You could create a, a video. You could hire someone to do an illustrated video. So these that one single concept you could multiply, maximize in multiple platforms and social media and, and, and you know, delivery systems and package it up and you would position yourself as an education-based marketer, repackage it in multiple, you'd be integrating the different methodologies. You know, let's narrow it down, Adam. I mean, there's only three things we need to run a business. We need, and I think Joe has been teaching this for decades. I think he learned it originally from either Dan Kennedy or Gary Helbert. Those three things, you need a product or a service, you need a message, and you need a delivery system. That's it. Nothing more, it's no more complicated than that. You need uh, a product or a service, you need a message, you need a delivery system. Like, you know, people fall in love with all these platforms of Facebook and Google and YouTube and so on, but they, at the end of the day, they're just delivery systems. What will matter most for most of us is when we get better at telling a better message. And that is your marketing. That is your selling process. You know, for example, another way to look at it. 
the difference between a $1 bill and a $100 bill. If you think about it, you know, maybe you have one in your pocket right now. Pull, pull, pull both of them out, a dollar and a hundred. Look at them. Or next time you get a chance, look at a $100 bill and a hundred and put them next to you. Guess what? They weigh the same. They are the same exact size. They have the same color ink. The only difference between the $1 bill and the $100 bill is the message on the paper. And when you can tell a better message, yeah. right? when you can become an education-based marketer, an integrated marketer, or a publisher to educate people, your value goes up in the marketplace. It gives you that positioning. It gives you that authority. It gives you that credibility, if not super credibility, authority and positioning to be able to be the best at what you do and be unique. Yeah. Absolutely. So we talked about marketing. Now let's go to sales. Uh, and Dan, why do you feel the traditional sales is dead? Wow, you know that's a great, great, great question. You know, I think for similar reasons. You know, selling. You know, um, you know. Do you? You know, as you're listening right now, do you like to be sold? Right. Think about what you when you think of being sold. What that means to you. What does it mean? Right. And. You know, I get a vision of, you know, like being in a car dealership and, you know, having them do the one-arm strong-arm close and hold the keys and, you know, your ID and, you know, they're going to take nine runs at you and bring the finance manager in three times and all this, you know, it becomes this arduous kind of process, right? So selling, what, you know, what is, you know, first is, you know, what is selling? And there's a better way to look at it. You know, Dan Sullivan, who's one of our Genius Network members, you know, he defines selling, which is one of the best ways I, I love to define it, which is, you know, selling is getting someone intellectually involved in a future result that is good for them so that they can emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result, right? And so when you first have a healthy view, I talked about unhealthy and healthy early, when you have a healthy view of what selling is, and then when you position yourself that that's what you're providing in value, you know, what is the transformation you provide in your selling model? What is the, the value proposition, right? What is the 10 times opportunity that you're going to give people? They just can't get anywhere else. And so, you know, going back to that definition Dan has, which is getting someone intellectually involved in a future result that's good for them. So they can emotionally commit, right? Because, you know, people make decisions emotionally, not logically. But you want to get them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result. So that's being compelling versus convincing. So traditional selling the old, you know, the old models of selling of, you know, hard closing and one-time closes, you know, I think is just very arduous. It's similar to that analogy I gave earlier, Adam, which is, you know, striking a match, throwing it at the log. And, you know, uh, I think I've heard Joe say this a hundred times, if not more, which is, you know, only the hungriest fish will will jump at the crappiest bait, Right. So if you're right. stuck in old methods, old patterns, old rituals, and old ways of doing it, and you know those one-time closing techniques are the way you go, a better way is a, you know what would be viewed as more of a consultative approach. You want to be a trusted advisor, not an annoying pest. You want to be a welcome guest instead of that annoying pest. So number one, it starts right. with your framework of how you build your company around your sales process, right? Consultative. Now you have to ask for the sale, but then once you have a healthy positioning. Now you f you'll likely feel, if you've done it right, you'll feel you have a moral obligation to make sure they understand every benefit, every outcome, every opportunity, uh, every danger you solve, every problem you solve that you can. And you've, you're excited. Your team's excited about that when you get it right. And now it doesn't become convincing. It becomes compelling because people will always be more impressed with the height of our enthusiasm than they will the depth of our knowledge. So it's 
you know, packaging, but I would even go back to the framework I shared earlier, Adam, which is instead of selling, perhaps look at it as education-based selling or looking at it as influence or looking at it as behavior, uh, behavior modification, right? In many ways is what we do to influence, to, to persuade. Um, so, you know, those are a couple, of, you know, ways that I view it. And, and, you know, I think the companies that do it best are the ones who do consultive approaches. They, they come across as an educator, a consultant, or an advisor versus a salesperson. And, uh, you know, I think that works really well. All right. Well, we have just a few minutes left here, and I do want to, you know, turn the floor over to you at the very end just for uh, one minute so you can share something with our audience. But, but I want to squeeze in one question for which we have about two minutes for that question, if you'll allow me. Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. Dan, you've told us so many great things about uh, everything you've done with, you know, the elf business versus the half business. You've spoken about leadership, and we had a great conversation about rituals and what we do to maximize our energy and protect our ability to serve the world. Now, if you were starting over, because you also told us about your, you know, you know, I read your bio and you told us about your journey to the intersection of brilliance and passion, just like we do on every episode of Business Creators Radio Show. But if you were starting over, what would you do differently or same or whatever? What would you do if you were starting over? Well, I, there'd be a lot of things I would do the same, but there would, you know, would be a couple things that I would do different. And I think, you know, number one is I would um, work personally to enjoy the ride and enjoy the journey more, right? And so for me, what that would mean would be setting up these rituals earlier. Now, I'm not sure that if you would have tried to c convince or compel me or influence me or market to me, that I should change my rituals, I don't know that I would have been open. I don't know that I was ready. As the old saying goes, you know, the student will appear when the teacher, or I'm sorry, the, the teacher will appear when the student is ready. And, you know, the, rea the reality is for me, the most important thing that we have is our mindset or our confidence. So work to protect your confidence and your mindset, number one. Number two, you know, all of us have ideas. Most of you that are listening right now are idea merchants. So you probably need a new idea like you need a hole in your head. Uh, what you want to do is distinguish elegant ideas. And elegant ideas, one, you know, we frame it as one elegant idea is worth more than a thousand semi-good ideas. So your not-to-do list becomes more right. important than the to-do list. So get clear on that. So it's confidence times elegant ideas times execution. And you may not be the one that's going to execute, but get clear on finding people who can help you execute what it is you do and go seek. We call it genius networking. All of us have a genius network. You listening have a genius network. Adam's got his own genius network. Your genius network can help you solve any problem, a marketing problem, a sales problem, a leadership problem, all of it, a health problem, a personal problem, a marriage problem, a kid's problem. You have a genius network if you'll just think about it that way of who can help me solve this and then how can I go provide value to them first, like Adam even brought up earlier in that framework. And if you provide value to them, you create reciprocity to ultimately ask for their support, ask for their help too. So uh, those would be a couple ways that I would look at you know, starting over and it would likely accelerate my growth 10 times from the beginning. Absolutely. 
Now, uh, we're right here at the top of the hour, so what I want to do is just real quick, if you could just let our listeners know how they can get more from you and what it is you do for business creators, because uh, we have some people on the edge of their seat, uh, very interested in uh, taking this to the next level. Um, so if you could uh, just tell me a little bit about that, uh, maybe a website for people to visit. If you have a gift, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but just uh, let us know, Dan. Yeah, I would say the easiest way, if you want to go deeper with some of the strategy, you want to you know, work on you know, growing your business, accelerating your business, optimizing, scaling, uh, what, what it is that you do, go check out GeniusNetwork.com, uh, real simple. Yeah. You know, you'll find some great wisdom there at GeniusNetwork.com and or our show at GrowthToFreedom.com uh, overall. Yeah. Yes, I personally endorse Growth to Freedom. That's a great show, and I've been following the Genius Network for years. I love the Genius Network. In fact, I uh, make a point when I do my weekly sweeps of all the websites where I find great stuff, whether it's because I want inspiration for my business or I'm looking for something to talk about on my own blogs, whatever. Genius Network is one of the places I stop, and I usually am on a roll within a minute or two. There's no shortage. So that's my recommendation for our listeners. So, uh, Dan Cushell, thank you very much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. Same here, Adam. Thank you. All right. For all you great folks listening, my name is Adam Homey. I am the host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.